Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. I'm Brandon Lee, the host of Escaping Rock Bottom. As you can see, if you're watching this podcast, I got a very special guest with me today. His name is Andrew, also in the news business. Yes. Hi. How are you? Man, thanks for you're welcome coming on the podcast. No, I don't mind at all. Story. No, it's great. Um, it's great that I'm out here. And for those of you who are listening, you're gonna um, you're gonna hear a pretty incredible story uh, today from Andrew, and it's a story that. I just love to get out there in the entire world, the addiction world, because we're dealing with an opioid crisis in this country right now that we need to face. There is a huge stigma when it comes to addiction. That's one of the reasons why I came out publicly about my past struggles with addiction. It's the reason why I wrote a book, which is coming out in June. Because I'm, you must be excited about that I book. I'm super a bit. excited, uh, but yeah. I just, you know, Andrew, I, what I wanted. People ask me, like, why did you leave news in Arizona and why did you launch a podcast? And it all came down to that there's a real stigma out there that still exists in the professional world that if if it's ever found out that you're a recovering drug addict or that you used to dabble in drugs or you used to have a problem with uh-huh. it, a lot of people write you off. That's true. And a true. lot of people That's just true. say you're a troubled lot, you're never going to be any good, and... We're here to disprove uh, all of that. So, alas, I bring in Andrew to the conversation. Thank you very much. So, where were you born and raised? Uh, I was born in Texas. I grew up in Denver, Colorado. I moved out and, uh, of Denver 12 years ago. It's been 12 years. Um, but I will say, so just to give everyone an, um, just a little disclosure... I get very nervous public speaking and talking in front of your audience and your Something crowd. Something tells me that this and, is going to be just fine. And I just wanted you, I wanted the whole, <laughs> the audience to be aware that there is some, um, I'm a little shy. So I will, um, I'll just answer the well, questions you, you, as thank honest you. as I you're can. You're faking it really well right uh, now. Thank you. So thank you so it's much. It's awesome to thank have you here. Thank you. Okay. So um, let, take me back. Uh, where did it really all begin for you? Um, I know for me, mm-hmm. when people ask me that question, mm-hmm. um, you know, going through recovery and going through therapy that I realized for me, my real issue started as a child when I mm-hmm. de- dealt with some traumas, childhood traumas. I was raped and molested as a child, which eventually I... Was it by a man or a woman? It was by men um, that I believe eventually led me down a path of escapism and I chose alcohol and drugs to escape. So uh, where does it all begin for you? That's actually an interesting, and it, it, for me, I think the Genesis as well also started as a child. Um, I always think that as a kid, you always want your parents to be really proud of you. You want them to admire you and you want to feel love. And I definitely had love from both of my parents, um, more so from my mom. Uh, I always thought that my father, and now talking to him about it, like, and he just reaffirms some of the beliefs that I had, you know, I always knew that he wanted like a son, you know, like that's my boy. Like that's my, that's my kid over there. He scored, he scored that, you know, that, that touchdown that that's him. That's my son. And he never got that. I think he obviously, I was more um, effeminate, uh, you know, obviously clearly I, I am gay uh, and I think that that is where the disappointment started. And I just internalized that. And as a young kid, and this is the honest truth, what I would tell myself all the time as a young, young kid is that um, maybe I didn't articulate it this way, but now that I actually have the words to articulate it, um, all I ever said was that when I'm successful, when I am good enough, when I have the best job, when I'm making a lot of money, when I am just the top of my game, you know, just in my head, when I am good enough for you, then you'll forgive me for being me. That was, that was a mantra that I used a lot. So you were a people pleaser. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and it, you could see, I mean, I graduated in high school at the top of my class. My mom actually sells the cord when I graduated. It's on my uh, picture framed in their house. Um, I got into multiple colleges. I got an internship when I was 20 at a news station, got hired at 21, um, just became a manager at 34 um, of a big newsroom. And I, it's always been to um, be the best that I can be, which is good. Look, it's good. But I think you also um, try to be too perfect. And that obviously, obviously leads to um, the best quote I heard from Dr. Brene Brown on perfectionism. So. Mm, yeah. And you know what I've noticed just not even just with addicts, just with a lot of gay men in uh-huh. particular. Yeah. Is that what I notice with gay men is that for the most part, many gay men are overachievers. Yeah. Um, I think it's because and I really I really understand where you're coming from with that because. I too was an overachiever that I felt shame that I felt just I felt guilty for being gay as a child and and I felt like I was a disappointment too to both uh-huh. my parents. Yeah. I felt that my parents were embarrassed for how the community that I grew up in in Orange yeah, County absolutely. how other parents I thought about how other parents would look at my parents for having me as a gay child. I felt that burden of shame, which made me want to overachieve more to win the approval of my parents. And I think that that is a huge issue. I believe, again, my opinion, why drugs have been so rampant with our generation in the gay community. Whereas I'm not seeing it so much with the younger gay community, the younger gay kids coming out so young now because They're not dealing with that sense of no. shame and guilt that we dealt not with at all. from our generation. And, and uh, uh, forgive me, because I, I don't know quite all your whole backstory, mm-hmm. um, but when, when did you start using drugs? Yeah, by the way, this podcast works both ways, so you yeah, can feel free I am to, interested. To, to ask me any questions you want. Um, the first time I did drugs was alcohol, and I brought a bunch of wine coolers to school. yeah. In How seventh, old were you? Seventh grade. Okay. And I was the seventh grade class president. So there's the dichotomy, right? Here I am, an overachiever, being mm-hmm. you know student um, student class president, mm-hmm. while yeah. at the same time bringing uh, wine coolers to school, getting all my friends drunk. Yeah. You know, and and then when I got suspended, I was I was suspended for a week at, at home suspension, which wow. was like a vacation for me. Really. And that's when my parents were like, "Yeah, but he's such he's so good in school, right?" There was the overachiever that got uh-huh. me out of trouble. Yeah, yeah. Was that yeah. my parents were like, "But he does well in sports. He does well in school. We can't discipline him." So that kind of let me to learn a, a little life lesson of a, a work hard, play hard, and and that's what and I and that was your mantra for quite some time mm-hmm. when you especially dealt. How about drugs. you? Um, I I'm very honest about this. I on my 21st birthday was at a movie with my mom and my sister. So I, I that just goes to show I didn't get into drinking until much later. I think it wasn't until I moved to West Hollywood mm-hmm. is when I really delved into my first drink. And I really and for a while I thought it was just a normie. I was able just to um indulge in like vodka soda and just have like have one or two of them and I was fine. And um I was fine for quite some time and then I started to really enjoy drinking and I started to like the effect I started to like that it made me feel good enough. I liked the fact that like I go into a bar and I really felt confident for the first time. Um, the one thing that I really liked after that, and it's a big part of my story <laughs> and the downfall is cocaine. Mm. I dabbled into cocaine when I was 16 years old. Um, oh, well, a lot younger in crystal Cove, We used to, a friend of mine, 
on my soccer team, his parents had a beach house in uh-huh. Crystal Cove. Yeah. Uh, and this is going back in around 1994 to 96. Um, and we used to go down there unsupervised. Mm-hmm. We would go to Santa Ana and mm-hmm. we would buy a bunch of cocaine and we would do rails of cocaine yeah. uh, while on the beach and in Crystal Cove. So I yeah. got kind of a young start to cocaine. So I definitely, it was I definitely can relate right to here. that. Oh, right here. Okay. There you go. This is better. This is better. Like we're Sing. rocking out it's all, and singing. And it's all live right now. So, uh, not, not, no, no editing. So what, so you got into, into drugs at what age would you say? Oh, I wouldn't get into, I didn't get into, I didn't do my first line of Coke until I was like 26 or 27. Oh, you're a late bloomer. Yeah. And, uh, but what I liked the first time I did it, I can, I'm very honest about this. The first time I did it, um, I did my first line. And am I that loud? That am I? I'm, maybe that's no, great. Maybe, maybe I'm actually like bleeding into your mic, and it's this close <laughs> it's to me. I love it. You know, maybe that's the thing. Um, no, I, I talk loud, and I always wonder if, if my my personality is a reflection <laughs> of being like a middle child and like trying to get attention. That could be, you know, not whole. That's a whole other thing. I have experience with that. That's I'm not whole, a middle child. I'm the youngest child, but I think my middle sister can probably relate to that. Yeah. That's a whole other therapy. <laughs> and, and I have been in therapy too. And I don't, and I, and I'm, I'm, I'm very much for it, but um, so when did, when did it, when did life for you really become unmanageable? Like take me to that point because one of the questions I get asked all the time is Brandon, when did you hit your rock bottom? Like, when did you know that the gig was up? So when was the gig up for you? Um, so I do know it was actually, so March 3rd, 2015 is my sobriety day. Um, it was March 1st, because that was on Sunday. My sister was packing up and leaving. My sister came to visit me. Um, just a beautiful girl. Just awesome. And prior to that, so in February of 2015, I went to my first CA meeting. That's Cocaine Anonymous. Um, I didn't get a lot from the speaker, and I'm going to get into my mm-hmm. rock bottom because it happens right after that. Um, the speaker, as you know, in these meetings, people talk about their life stories, their rock bottom. This guy talked about being poor. He talked about um, living in his car. He talked about carrying uh, a black bag for his suitcase. Um, that was his luggage. You know, that, that's all he had. And I don't, I didn't take anything away from that. I just, I, to me, I was like, oh, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not poor. I have a great job. I'm not none of these things, you know? And it was yet because the truth is, is that if I was kicked out of my house that day, I had like enough in savings to like last seven days only. And that's the truth. I was in debt and I only had enough money really just to get me through a whole other week. Anyway, so fast forward to my first meeting, didn't get a lot out of, out of it. Didn't take much away. Um, I went to my, so now I'm going back. I'm now, I'm now moving forward to when my sister came to visit me. Um, I just abandoned her the whole time. I was out um, doing multiple drugs. She came to see me. I was never present. I was also losing 10 pounds. I was just, I was too thin. And, and my rock bottom truly was more financial than it was having this really bad experience. Um, but I woke up on Sunday and I realized I was done. I called. Dirk, who's my sponsor, uh, and I just told him that I am done. It was March 3rd, 2015. I was driving on Alvado, which is the street in Beverly Hills, and I was making my way onto Wilshire Boulevard, and I just knew that was it. That was it, and I just knew I couldn't go back because I just didn't like who I was becoming. More so, it was just the big liar who I was, and no one could really trust me. Did you ever go to treatment or rehab? No, I was very fortunate. I was very fortunate because I was able to um, deal with the problem. My sponsor... And his wife, um, they're very strict. And that in itself was, for me, just for me, was enough to get me through. I never went to treatment. 
I never went to rehab. Uh, my f- very first sponsor was either the vice president or the president of a very large recovery center in the Southwest and in Atlanta, Georgia. And he happened to be my next door neighbor, uh-huh. um, which was just beautiful of my higher power to place me in a spot where I could live next door to my uh-huh. eventually future sponsor. Yeah. Um, but he was very strict. I don't, I, there were times where I felt like I was just basically, he was treating me like an outpatient. Yeah. You know? Mine was very militant. He was, mine, was, mine was extremely militant too. Um, and I loved it. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have it any other way. And just for all the listeners and the watchers on this podcast, right. I never relapsed. So I've been sober for over nine years. I never went to treatment. I never went to rehab. And I haven't relapsed. And uh-huh. the reason why I share that as part of my story is because I want people to know that relapse does not have to be part of your story. It does not have to be. And, it doesn't and have for to those be. who do relapse, I always shake their hand when they come back to a meeting. And they brave, brave, because I wonder sometimes if I would be brave enough or if my ego would be too big, if I were to relapse, if I I would be able to come back. That's I fear that too. So I go and shake their hands and I always ask them this next question. What is the next question? How was it? Was it good? And did you know every single time they tell me no? Have you ever heard of it? Okay. See, See, and that's what I, and that's the lesson I tell people. Uh I'm like, I have yet to hear somebody who got sober decide to go relapse Come back and tell me they had an amazing time. It was every yeah. time they always go, Brandon. It was worse than our rock bottom the first time. And I'm like, my rock bottom was really bad. Anything worse would be death. And so that's enough to scare me into realizing that a life of drugs and just even picking up a drink is just yeah. not worth it for me. Now, so one one of my favorite things to do is when I'm talking to someone is I always want someone to like if they're just listening for the first time. What was your rock bottom? Oh, God, my rock bottom. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, I always say my rock bottom, it, it was basically about a month long, okay. right? It was a, it was a, a month long of just, uh-huh. what the heck am I doing to myself? Mm-hmm. Um, but a, a long, long story short, um, you know, it was a month, it was a January, it was a month of, near, of near-death of mm-hmm. experiences. I got high after I got off work at KTLA, did a dose of GHB, uh, at around mm, 10.45 p.m., mm-hmm. ended up at 4.30 in the morning. I woke up in the emergency lane of the 110 freeway mm-hmm. underneath an overpass with my driver's seat fully reclined and my hazard lights on. So clearly my higher mm-hmm. power, who I did not believe in at that time, um, was keeping me alive to not only not hurt myself, but mm-hmm. not hurt other people on the road. And then I ended up having two drug overdoses. I was comatose. Mm-hmm. Um, I was sent to Hollywood Presbyterian twice in two mm-hmm. weeks. Um, the first time wasn't enough. After I got released from the hospital, I'd had another drug overdose, mm-hmm. ended up in the exact same hospital, and that was finally it for me. It was this little old nurse who saw me crying mm-hmm. in my ER room, which I didn't think anybody was listening to me. Mm-hmm. I thought I was by myself, and this little nurse comes in, yeah. and she goes, do you believe in God? Mm-hmm. And I looked at her, and I said, no, I do not. And she goes, that's okay, because God believes in you. And she goes, you were here last week, and we revived you. Mm-hmm. We revived you again this week. She goes, I only have $10 in my purse. Okay. What I'm going to do is give you the $10 so you can get a cab ride to a meeting, an AA meeting that they have at my church. And she goes, mm-hmm. and there's one meeting tonight. 
Will you, you make me that promise that you will go? And so I went to that church on Melrose and Mansfield. Uh-huh. I have been sober ever since that day. Is that your home group meeting? It was when I was in L.A. Uh-huh. Um, but it's, I mean, that was, gosh, almost 10 years Describe, ago. So, no. so what was your first meeting like? Oh, what, my what gosh. My, your experience? Uh, my first meeting, um, my first meeting, I was so friggin' scared. I walked up to Melrose and Mansfield. They were handing out raffle tickets at the door. Uh-huh. And I was like, what is this circus? So I did a 180 and left. Okay. Two guys at the door saw me. They ran mm-hmm. after me and said, what are you looking for? And I was uh-huh. like, well, I was looking for an AA meeting, but this is too crazy. And they're like, please come back in. So they brought me back inside. They gave me one of those raffle tickets. Uh-huh. The speaker who spoke that night, I already had him on my podcast okay. uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, Jason Kennedy. I can say his full name because he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, he was a speaker that night yeah, and he was incredible. And I always say like, God, if he wasn't the speaker in that, that night, would I have stayed? And when he started speaking, I was like, Oh my God, this guy is like telling my story. And that kept me around in the meeting long enough because I really wanted to bolt. Yeah. And then when did he did you want to go get high or did you want to just, no, I just felt out. uncomfortable. I just okay. wanted out okay. of that room. Yeah. Um, because even at that time I knew I was done. Like I didn't want to drink or drug, uh-huh. um, but I was uncomfortable. And so she, Sure enough, there was time at the end of the meeting for one share, and so that's why they handed out raffle tickets, so that they could draw a raffle ticket. Okay. And sure enough, friggin' out of 100 people at this damn meeting, yeah. over 100 people, it was packed, yeah. they called my number. And the guy sitting next to me, yeah. and I just sat there, I was like, I'm not going up there. And the guy saw my number, and he goes, yo, you just called this guy's number. And I went up there, and as much as I hated him in that yeah. moment, he saved my life. I got up there, and I just started crying. So after the meeting, all these people came up to me, gave me their numbers, and that's how I stayed and sober. The rest, and what about his share um, that you heard? Wait a second. You're asking me way too many questions. Yeah. <laughs> all my viewers and listeners, they know enough about me. I got to turn the tables to you. Um, so it's a what TV have you, thing. Yeah, I it guess, is a totally right? TV yeah. thing. I'm putting the focus back on you. What have you found to be the most challenging part in the four years that you have sober? Um, well, actually, I'm very... Okay, so a couple things. Uh, we'll get to some of the positives, but what were yeah. some of the challenges that you faced when you were first getting sober, just even in the past yeah, four yeah, years? Yeah, definitely. The first few weeks were the hardest for me because I had to, in some ways, disassociate from the friend group that I currently had. Mm. Um, and that friend group, um, I, you know, I, was, I was afraid to go out to the bars with them over the weekend because I thought I was going to miss out. I thought I was like not going to be fun anymore. Um, having to lie to them because I was already a notorious liar, but having to lie to them of why I'm not drinking. Um, it was like, I think I just said, you know, I have an early day on Saturday. I can't really drink tonight, but thank you so much. And they're like, you know, we don't know you to not to, to give up, you know, to pass up a vodka soda and I, if that was the hardest part, and it was hard not being a part of. I then, I guess I felt again like that kid that wasn't like that was an outsider again looking in. Um, I didn't have fun going out. I just I didn't smile the first week, and I had so much anxiety approaching that weekend. Like, what am I going to tell them when they ask like Why are you? Why aren't you drinking? Why Why aren't you in the bathroom a hundred times? You know what's interesting about the story you're telling right now is that when you got sober. Uh-huh. You felt uncomfortable in your own skin. No, I did. And I felt uncomfortable in my own skin for quite some time. And it's actually something Which is that, probably why you went to drugs and alcohol. Yeah, I loved it. And it made I, you fit right I in. I loved the effect. And the I loved... feel that you fit right yeah, in. Yeah, and I loved the effect. I loved the effect of finally feeling good enough. And it does, for me, it took me a while to really work on myself and work on like um, sexual, like my sexuality and being comfortable, um, you know, 
uh, you know, having it's hard being comfortable having sexual relations with someone. When oh, listen, so sober sex at the very beginning is awkward. It's weird. Yeah. I actually didn't even have sex my first year in recovery. It was part of my very strict sponsor rules. But like in the nine years, in a little over nine years that I uh-huh. have sober, there's a, there was a period where I didn't have sex for almost two years. Oh, and, wow. And mind you, I was a sex addict. So that's like one extreme to the other. And my sponsor said to me, he's like, listen, bro, you need to go out there and have sex. And I'm like, was so fearful that yeah. the moment I did, that it would open up this floodgate. Uh-huh. And so I didn't. And my, my sponsor goes, dude, you went from the whorehouse to the brothel. Like, there's a lane. <laughs> there's middle ground there. Yeah, right? But exactly. I was like, God, as addicts, we're just so extreme in what we do. And we are. And we are. But, uh, I mean, those are, uh, those are definitely the, the challenges. Um, I talk about uh, a near relapse just uh, in the last two months. Oh, wow. Tell was. me about that. What led you to that oh, thought? Oh, I'm very, yeah, I'm what? very, yes. Okay, so this is what happened with that. I was fearful that, I, as I mentioned, I got a new job, a new gig, and like I'm now responsible for people. And the fear was, was that... He works, by the way, at a huge... A uh, new station station in Los Angeles, and Los Angeles is the number two market in the country for news. So yeah. he has a lot yeah. of pressure on his plate on a daily basis at this news operation. And I couldn't find my footing. I couldn't find my footing. I was really so confident. That feeling at of, my, of uncomfortableness, yeah. and I didn't again. like it. And I didn't like that I didn't know how to handle situations because I was really good. I'm a problem solver, and I was able to fix everything. And for me, like, it was just, it was like, I didn't know how to fix it. I didn't know how to fix it. I didn't know how to make things better. And all your natural instinct was, yeah, get high. And that is, and I (laughs) actually got to talk when I share that in my home group, um, one of the uh, persons inside did say, you know, that is our instinct as drug addicts. It is to get high. That's where we find comfort and it's an easy it's easy to yeah, get listen, out listen when shit gets tough numb it out yeah and that's what it, and that's <laughs> and those have been the most challenging uh, you know there's always a time when like you're on you're, you're like on a rooftop eating you know brunch on a sunday and you know someone has a margarita or a rosé and uh and that always makes it you know that definitely makes it challenging to yeah, I mean, I can, I can. It always makes you like. Just I think say, be- maybe I just have a drink. I can't yeah, okay. I, you know, it's the beautiful. I always say the beautiful blessing uh-huh. um, with sobriety in my life is that the friends that I have in my life today, ninety nine point nine 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 nine, have only ever known me sober. So these are all people uh-huh. that I have naturally chosen to be part of my life since I've changed my life. My friends in my life today are a true Mine too. Re- reflection Absolutely. of the man and the values that I have today. Absolutely. Now, uh, the crazy part is, is that these friends tell me, B, like, why can't you have a glass of rosé with us? Or why can't you have a glass of champagne? And because to them, I'm like, Guys, like, it wouldn't be pretty. And you know what their response back to me is? It's beautiful. Their response back to me is, Brandon, you are one of the most in control people we've ever met. Uh And I'm like, oh, my God. Had you known me 10 years ago, I I was the most out of control person you would have ever met. And so I look at that. I'm like, see, that right there is the reason why I will not have a glass of rosé. Do you know how hard I have worked to garner a reputation where people are like, you're responsible, yeah. you're manageable, you are 
you have your emotions in check. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, that's a beautiful gift. No, it so isn't. I, I love the fact that my friends have those thoughts about me. Um, because that's probably not what people would have described you when you were using. Hell no. People, I was a, I was called Hurricane Brandon in my time in LA when I was a drug addict. Yeah. And I would like walk into a bar, leave a trail of disaster behind would and leave. You? Yeah, I was a mess. Um, so... <laughs> But I, uh, this podcast is all about hope. And we'll, what's one of the biggest blessings in your life since you become sober? The best example comes this last... It doesn't even have to be one. I don't want to pin you down to one. If you've got three, tell me three. That, no, that's always great. I always, I always like, no, I always like um, more, right? I'm a, right? I'm a drug addict. Uh, this last weekend, my family came into town, and like it's like not boring. It's actually a good story. Okay, it's a good story, especially if you're looking for hope. This is really going to make you realize you could change. Um, family used to visit me. Uh, they would come out from Denver, come to visit me. It was awful. We'd always get into fights. There was always um, I always wanted to go out with the friends. I always just wanted to be high. I never wanted to be around them. I never gave them time. I never gave them. I never appreciated their time here. Um, this last time around, there's been multiple times they came to visit me sober, but this last time, I had my two, I had my niece and my nephew, I had my youngest sister and my mom and my dad, and as they hugged me to tell me goodbye uh, as they left, they just said, you have really become the man we knew you were going to become. And I'll just say, so that's that amazing. multiple things in my life because I never thought I was going to get that from my father because he, obviously, I didn't, I, he didn't want me to become this man. But he does, and he's now proud of who this guy is. And so that's by far, um, I, I take that away as one of the strongest things. Is I truly, when I say I'm going to show up, I show up. Um, and when I, I'm usually always on time. I was a half hour late for this, but I, was, I had a breaking news story. Uh, and excuses. Yeah, excuses, I know. Excuses, excuses. <laughs> but I, I just, I do what I say I'm going to do. And that just wasn't my thing before. And go ahead. I think that when we become our authentic selves uh-huh. and we become proud of who we are not to please other people but to please ourselves absolutely we naturally naturally get praised upon by the people we used to seek approval for uh, yeah before that has that so changed. you changed your thinking and saying i need to save andrew i need to be proud of me I need to be a responsible me. By you focusing on the better you, your dad naturally came and gave you everything that you had wanted as a child. Very much so. Yeah, and he did. And and you put it actually perfectly when you just said that because I finally felt like, ah. Oh. Right. Like, ah. Oh. Like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. And, you know, I know that mine is just a, a father issue, but I, I assume some of your viewers. Listen, we all got parent podcasts. issues. I mean, I'm working through some serious parent issues right now. My dad just started to listen to my podcast, he told me. Uh-huh. So hopefully he's listening to this one. And my dad and I are really trying to figure out a relationship going forward. What is it like right um, now? It's, it's tough. And I've, you know, at least we have an honest dialogue. And I can at least tell my dad mm-hmm. in a non condescending way, just as I'm speaking to you right mm-hmm. now that I was disappointed in him that when I did come out and tell him that I was a drug addict nine months sober and mm-hmm. I was making amends to him that he never followed up to ask me how are you doing into recovery he never once called me on my birthday on my sobriety birthdays oh, to really? say I'm proud of you and that hurt 
And so I was able to recently tell him that you know that the resentment hurt. towards him. I did, and I told him, I have resentment towards you, and and it, I had to work through therapy to uh-huh. figure out why do I resent my dad so much, and figured out why I did, and now I can speak that to him. But we all got mommy and daddy issues. I don't speak with my mom. Really, you know, she's bipolar. She's got her issues. But unfortunately, she's not the kind to ever give me what I wanted, right? I wanted that approval. I always wanted to make my mama proud. Yeah. But what I finally realized as an adult is I can go to the moon. Yeah. And still she'll make it about her. Like, yes, I gave birth to the son who can make it up on the moon. You know, like. Yeah. So we all got mommy and daddy issues. We do. But I love that. I love that. Um, sobriety for you has given you at it's least repaired, that, repaired and that it's relationship. repaired and it's finally forced me to be so honest like so honest like they know about the drug problems they know like uh, clearly that I'm gay and I how awesome is that that you don't they, feel like you have to hide anything no and I don't like we openly talk about it we openly talk about the near relapse we openly talk about um, my use of cocaine we openly talk about the fact I can't do shots with them so it's it's incredible it is in Incredible. And like there are those who are watching and they're like, oh, come on, you know, we're not going to all have it that easy. It took four years. Like it wasn't it didn't happen overnight and it didn't happen like in nine months of recovery. It didn't it didn't happen that way. It just it did take time, um, you know, and I, I'm fortunate that I now was able to kind of see this full circle. And yeah. I'm nine years, you know, and I'm nine years and I just had this conversation with my dad that's ongoing up until last weekend oh, to really? where we actually just agreed to have dinner in two weeks. That's great. Are you excited? But I'm super excited yeah. because to me, that's repairing a relationship uh-huh. to continue it to go forward and move forward. Is he a normie? Is your father? He, my dad is a total normie. Uh-huh. And, you know, he's like, and he is such a big hearted and he's a, he's a beautiful man um, who has his own issues that unfortunately he has never taken the time to address. Yeah. And so, normie, as you tell your podcast. Oh, yeah. But, uh, hopefully they know what normies is because okay. I mentioned it. Normies are people who can have a glass of wine and they don't change. Like they're normal. They don't have a drug problem. They don't have an alcoholic problem. They can just go home and go to bed and they're not trying to look for the after party. Totally. <laughs> um, and then look for the other after party after that. I know. And this is what's crazy about just chatting about addiction is that we already hit 30 minutes. Look at that. Isn't that crazy? Perfect. Um, there you go. But... And it Thank just, you like, for having fun. me. I know. And it's just... And I thought I was going to like be so nervous. And now I'm sitting upright. So It's, it's just like, I'm you know, my you know skills of making people feel comfortable. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. No, thanks for, thanks for coming on. And I'm just... I know that there's I, emails that I got today from the latest podcast that hit. Is it's making a difference? The Good. right, you know, the right person's yeah. going to hear your message today when they're driving to work, and that's all. That's all that it's about. Yeah. it's about spreading the message of. That's all it is, and it's uh, fun. I mean, strength and hope. At first, it sounds like it's not as exciting, but it's a great time. Your life will. Sobriety is amazing, and I say that uh, every time. Uh, Sobriety is amazing. My life's amazing, and I don't need a drink or a drug to improve it. That's and, true. And I never thought that I would be doing this and saying no. this 10 years ago when I was in a hospital on the deathbed. Absolutely. And we met through this program. And we met through sobriety. Yeah. So um, big thanks to Andrew, and awesome. thank, thank you, you so to much. everyone who thank is you, watching everyone. and thank listening. Um, check out the podcast. You can go to my website. It's escapingrockbottom.com. If you've got iTunes, you've got Spotify, all you have to do is go to the search bar and type in Escaping Rock Bottom. It'll populate. You'll see all the podcasts plus this episode. Thank see you. See you guys. Have an amazing week. We'll see you back here next Wednesday. Thank you so much.